I hope the, the message tonight will be an encouragement to you as well. Like I said, my name is Josh, and uh, we started Grace Baptist Church almost 13 years ago. It'll be in March. Uh, my wife, uh, Misty, and I, there's a picture of our family we took just last week, uh, and we had fun with that. We have been, uh, uh, we met when she was 12 and I was 14, and she fell in love with me from then on. Um, we have uh, two wonderful children and one other one. Um, there you go. All right, good. I stole that from a comedian, and I didn't say it nearly as good as he said it. I think Sean shared that one with me on the way up here. No, but Missy and I have been happily married for five years, and we, that's not, I guess that is true. We have been happily married for five years, but we've been married for 20 years, and uh, there's a lot to that story. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, I do not joke when I say that we've been happily married for five years because uh, it was 15 years into our marriage before things finally clicked uh, with me. And uh, it was a series of events that kind of led to uh, those things finally clicking. And uh, as a matter of fact, I had a chance to, uh, my wife and I uh, uh, started a sermon series on March the 8th, which I'm not sure what, how it happened in Iowa, but in Illinois, March the 8th was the last Sunday before they kind of shut us down over there. And so uh, my wife and I shared our marriage testimony in front of our whole church. And she made me look like a jerk, to be honest with you, and I didn't appreciate it. But... Uh, <laughs> No, but she did, and it really, she, it was really easy for her because all she did was describe the first 15 years of our marriage, and it was rough. And um, so what we did was the last Sunday uh, before we uh, shut down, we started a sermon series, and this is what we called it. We called it Reconcilable Differences. Instead of irreconcilable, which is what a lot of people say, you know, we ended our, our marriage because of irreconcilable differences. My wife had every reason in the world to end our marriage because of irreconcilable differences. But because of the grace of Jesus Christ and the patience of my wife, uh, those irreconcilable differences are reconcilable through uh, the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And so uh, after we shared our testimony on that Sunday, the 8th, um, we were prepared to share, uh, or I was prepared to share this message uh, on the next Sunday, but I didn't get a chance to share it. And so I've been waiting like 10 months uh, to share this message. And I get to test it out on you guys tonight, all right? But when you hear a, a pastor get up here and talk about, hey, yeah, I was in ministry, you know, and um, I knew all of the things that, you know, a, a pastor's supposed to do. I knew all the things that a husband's supposed to do, you know, all the do's and the don'ts. Um, and now I'm going to stand up here and, and tell you about how I was behind the scenes not doing a lot of those things, um, not living up to a lot of those things. And, and what I found is that while, while I knew all of the things I should be doing, I realized that we are not people that are in need of principles. We are sinners in need of rescue. And it's really important that we grasp that. Because usually when we get together and have seminars or couples retreats or uh, a pastor is going to come and speak on marriage, it's like, all right, guys, here's what you need to do. You need to buy her flowers and then you need to find out what her favorite chocolate is. And all the women are like, yeah. And, uh, and then all the, all, the, all the guys are like, tell her about the sex stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I'll get to that. All right. And so, you know, we, you want to give a bunch of principles, a lot of real practical stuff uh, and things like that. But the truth is you guys don't need more principles because many of of you could get up here and tell me, hey, here's what a, here's what a husband's supposed to do. Uh, here's what a wife is supposed to do. And, and what we realize is that uh, we don't need principles. We need a savior to rescue us from the true problems that we have in our marriages. 
And so my desire tonight is not to try to entertain you. I, I could tell you a lot of stories. I could probably get some of you to cry. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm not going to try to do that tonight. I really want to help you as a, as a church, especially a church full of young couples like this. Especially a church full of young couples with young children. Because what I've found, and you've probably found this too, Joel, is that usually couples that are struggling the most are oftentimes the ones with the young kids at home, especially the ones that have multiple young kids at home. And that's where we were for that stage of life. And people struggle at that point. And I hope today to help us to see what God's perfect design is for marriage. This is nothing new. Uh, it's something you've heard before, most likely. Uh, but here it is. It's real simple. Husbands, love, wives, respect. Let's pray. We're going to the chicken house, right? And uh, you guys have pizza ranch up here? Yeah, it's not the pizza ranch, it's the chicken ranch. Their chicken's way better than their pizza, right? But uh, yeah, are you guys' restaurants open? It looked like they're still open. We can't eat anywhere. I, I drove by Applebee's on my way home this afternoon, and they literally had one of those ice fishing shacks set up outside. And I thought to myself, that'd be kind of cool to eat in an ice fishing shack outside of Applebee's. And then I thought, my wife wouldn't think that's nearly as cool as I thought think it would be. But um, anyway, back to live action. What we're talking about tonight is the main responsibility that we have as husbands and the main responsibility that we have as wives. And this is God's design for, uh, the perfect design for marriage. It is that we as husbands would learn to love and that wives would learn to respect. When we do this, uh, as the author of the book, Love and Respect says, uh, he says, this is called an energizing cycle. This is when you have the, a cycle going on in a marriage to where the husband is showing the wife love, which makes the wife want to show the husband respect, which makes the husband want to show the wife more love. And then the circle just goes on and on and you walk around with a perpetual smile on your face and just talk about how grand life is, right? Uh, <laughs> you guys are like, that's not real life, right? It doesn't, doesn't always happen that way because Typically, most of us would not say that our marriage is always in perfect harmony, living this well, like a well-oiled machine. Unfortunately, what happens is the husbands oftentimes struggle to show love. Since the wife doesn't feel love, she struggles to show respect. And since he doesn't feel love, or excuse me, feel respected, he shows less love. And instead of it being a well-oiled, energizing uh, machine that's running so, so well, it turns into what the author of this book calls the crazy cycle. One is the ideal situation. Everything's just hunky-dory. It's puppy dog tails and roses. And we love one another. We love Jesus. And the other one is just like, Katie, bar the door. <laughs> you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get ugly. How many of you guys have ever had one of those kind of uh, conversations in your home? Yeah, those of you that are like, no, nah, not us. You're lying. We're in church, all right? We're going to start today uh, in Ephesians chapter 5 by looking at the very last verse. And then we're going to work our way backwards. Uh, we're going to start at the end because verse number 33 is ultimately a summary of the last 12 verses. Look what he says there in verse 33. He says, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. Now we could... So we can see this is a summary of the last 12 verses, and we could take time to talk about uh, both the husband and the wife, but we just don't have the time to do that tonight. So husbands, I want you to kind of reach up like this. Everybody, all the guys, if you're married, grab like this. Help me out now. It's going to go a lot faster. There you go. And just buckle up. All right. I guess it goes like this. Buckle up because it's going to be just for the guys tonight. Ladies, is that okay if I do that? All right. yeah. Yes, sir. Go ahead. All right. So this is going to be just for the husband. You say, well, that's, that's not fair. What, you know, why are you going after the husbands? Well, 
since you asked, I'll show you. Verse number 23 says it. It says, for the husband is the head of the wife. Here it is. Even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. The reason we're going to address the husbands in the limited time that we have rather than address the wives is because the husbands are a picture of what? They're a picture of Christ and his love for the body or for the church. So when you think about Christ and his love for the church, who was it that initiated the love in the relationship between you and Jesus? Let me give you a hint. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us, right? Jesus Christ initiated that. As a matter of fact, Romans 2 says that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. So ultimately, it was Christ that initiated the relationship. So if we're going to have godly marriages that are going in an energizing cycle that is, uh, that is holy and is in line with what the Bible teaches here in Ephesians chapter 5, it needs to start with the husband. So let's start number one with this. If you're taking notes on your notes there, number one is the plan. They tell me that every good sermon has to have like alliterated points and I'm not very good at that. So just, it's really simple. I'm from Tennessee too. So I got four, four letters in that word plan. And, and the plan is real simple. Here's the plan guys, love. All right. The plan is to love. It's very, very simple. What is something that you love? Personally, I love to smoke meat and, uh, <laughs> And some of you thinking that I do. I love smoking meat. I have uh, an electric master built smoker. Anybody else a smoker here? Anybody with me? There we go. Uh, I have an electric master built smoker. It's a big 40 inch one. I've got a, a, a classic Weber kettle grill that I took the kettle apart and built my own tall bench for it and everything. Even got a place to put my iPad so I can watch television while I'm out there. Uh, and then the church last year for uh, pastor appreciation bought me an extra large big green egg. I don't know if you guys have ever tried one of those or not, but it will change your life, all right? Uh, I love it, man. I love smoking stuff. I love smoking pork, uh, uh, pork butt. Are you allowed to say butt in church? Pork booty. Uh, I love smoking that. Um, I love to, um, to smoke chicken breast. I love smoking ribs. How many of you guys ever like smoking ribs? I didn't even like ribs till I cooked them, and now I love them. Anybody else love smoking ribs? Okay, we got a couple of smokers. You guys need to get to know those two guys in the back, all right? Because if you don't know, you better ask somebody, all right? But here's the thing. You, with, let me just give you a tip. I don't know if you guys know the three, two, one method, but if you're cooking ribs, I, lo I love it, all right? And we're talking about love, so we're talking about something I love. Uh, if you're going to cook good ribs, you take the ribs, you get a good rub on them, and then you cook them just on the grill. Put them smoking real good for three hours, for three hours. After three hours, you take some tin foil and you put butter on it put brown sugar on the tinfoil and then butter on the tinfoil. And then you put a meat side down on that tinfoil, wrap them up and let them smoke for two hours. After the two hours, take them off and let them firm up for an hour without being covered. And then you take it out, put it on your forehead and your tongue will beat you after that trying to get to it. All right. Uh, it's, it's amazing. All right. I love talking about this. I love talking about University of Tennessee college football. I'm a big fan. Any other Vol fans here? That's right. That's right. Good old Rocky Top. Okay, we got a couple. I really like that guy in the back back there. All right. It's so, uh, but, but here's the thing we could go on and I could go down here and some of you guys could say, well, I really love this or I really love that. And then right after I say, man, I just love ribs. I look at my wife and go, honey, I love you too. <laughs> Wait a second. You, the same term of endearment you use for a dead pig <laughs> is the, the same term of endearment that you're going to use for the, the, the love of your life. You know, we say we love a lot of things, but should we love our wives a little bit differently than that? Look what it says in verse number 25. 
he clarifies for us what love for our wives needs to look like. It's like, husbands, love your wives. And guys are like, well, how do I do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. We are to love our wives in the way that Jesus loves his church. The Bible says he gave himself. You know, men tend to think that they're showing love by saying, I love you. Men tend to think that we uh, are, are showing love by giving gifts, providing needs, not cheating, providing physical needs, you know, those sorts of things. We, as men, women, you know I'm right. We guys think we're doing good when we do a few of those things, you know. It's like we do the dishes one time. We want a trophy like, I helped out because I love you, you know, and that kind of thing. But here's how you know when you genuinely are loving your wife is when you give yourself to her. As a matter of fact, the word that's used here for love is the word uh, that was used when we were describing Jesus Christ's love, uh, when it said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's the word agape. And that word agape is, a, is an unconditional love. And I heard a guy by the name of Chip Ingram share this statement, and it has stuck with me for years. And I hope that you'll write this down if you're taking notes, and it's this. Love is this. Giving what is needed the most when it is deserved the least at great personal sacrifice. I don't know of a better definition of unconditional love than that one right there. Because when we talk about loving like Christ loved the church, Jesus Christ gave us what we needed the most. We needed a savior and he was the only one that could do it. He did it when we deserved it the least, right? Romans 5, 8, but God committed love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ gave us what we deserve the least at what? Great personal sacrifice. That's the way Christ loved us. And that's the way that we as husbands are to love our wives. So, When's the last time we did this for our wives? When's the last time we sacrificed for them in this way? The last time it cost us something. You know, many husbands aren't even aware of what our wives need the most because oftentimes we're too busy with other things. Uh, our plan is to love. Um, so why do we need to do this? That leads us to the next one. If you're taking notes there, number two is this, our purpose. There it is. I went to Bible college, two P's in a row, all right? Plan and purpose. Uh, purpose. We are told the purpose of why Jesus loved and gave himself. It's found in verses 26 and 27. He says this, why, why did he give himself for it? That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. That he might present it himself, to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. When you think about a person coming to know Jesus Christ as their savior, as you think about God's redemptive plan and how he turned us from sinners into saints, our cleansing from our sin was not dependent upon our behavior. What was our cleansing dependent upon? It was a dependent on his uh, behavior. He pursued us. For the husband that says, you know what? I know, I know what you mean you know, I'm supposed to pursue my wife, you know, I'm supposed to sacrifice for her and give her what she needs the most and she deserves it the least and everything. But I'll just be honest with you. Here's, here's what I think needs to happen. She needs to start showing me respect. And once she starts respecting me, I'll start loving her. Now, many of you would say, well, who would say that? Well, I can tell you right now, there are a lot of men that think that way. And they may think that it sounds manly to them, but it sounds like an excuse to me. You husbands are the leader in your home. 
It may sound manly to say, well, I'll tell you what she needs to do. I'll tell you what she needs to do. She needs a man that'll step up and love her when she doesn't deserve it. She needs a man that'll step up and say, I know my wife doesn't deserve for me to give this to her right now, but that's what she needs the most right now. And I'm not going to give it to her maybe because I feel like it. I'm going to give it to her because I'm going to trust my faith that this is what God wants. And then we can begin to see God do something supernatural in our marriages. But until we realize that what comes natural is not supernatural, we will never see see the kind of harmony and peace and joy in marriage that God has designed until we start to follow God's design. And God's design is for us as husbands to pursue and love our wives despite whether or not they are respecting us. It may sound like an ideal plan in our mind that we'll just wait on them, but that's not the plan of God. It was not his plan for our redemption and it is not his plan for the redemption of any hurting marriage. God's plan in redemption was not, I'll tell you what, Larry, once you get things straightened out, that's when I'll come down and save you. Is that what it said? That's not the way it went, right? I'll tell you what, here's what, here's what, you get your act together and then we'll, no, it wasn't God's plan for redemption of our lost souls. And it's not God's plan, plan of redemption for a broken marriage. God isn't waiting for a woman to step up in the home. He's waiting for a man to step up. And ladies, I understand there may be some single ladies. I don't know people that are here. There may be some ladies that have husbands that are not spiritual, and that's a whole different story. I'm talking about men and women that are on the same page spiritually here. It is God's design for the men to step up. Listen, differences are resolved through accepting responsibility. Differences are resolved through accepting responsibility. They are never reconciled through fighting, stonewalling, or blame shifting. Men, there is a power that comes in unconditional love. And it's not a power that you possess. It is a power that God unleashes supernaturally as we, by faith, trust him in loving in ways that don't seem to make sense to us sometimes. There's nothing that can energize a wife like when she knows that she is loved valued and that she is first in importance. The truth that every husband must recognize is this. The very thing that God has called you to do is the very thing that she longs to have. Stop and think about that. What has God called us to do? Love our wives. What is the thing that she needs the most? To be loved. Guys, we got to recognize that. Um, I don't know um, how many of you guys gamble, but I can remember the last time I was betting money playing poker. I was 16 years old and uh, I knew better. And uh, I was sitting at the uh, table of a friend. Uh, his name was Joe DeVore. I don't know if Joe lives around here anymore or not. And another friend named Travis Chatfield. He was crazy. He's probably in jail right now. But um, I was running with a rough group of guys and um, we were playing poker, just quarters, you know, and I won. And I was a sophomore in high school. They were seniors. And um, Travis literally was crazy. He punched a police officer while he was still in high school. That's why I said he's probably in jail. I really believe it. If you're watching online, hope to tell your guys to be nice to you, all right? But uh, um, I, I won a hand, and Travis, I think it was bluffing or something, and I, I won all of, a lot of his quarters. And he came over, and, and he put his arm around my neck. And he was just joking around. He's like, oh, you, you youngster, you're taking all my money. And I can remember very clearly going, <clears throat> like the windpipe completely choked off. Has anyone ever been completely choked off? Like you couldn't 
suck any air. I mean, completely choked out. And I can remember, I grabbed his arm. I was trying to pull it away. And I tried to take two breaths. That's how fast it happened. I couldn't believe it. (laughs) Nothing, nothing. I was out cold. And Travis thought I was messing around. So I'm sitting in the chair and he's holding me and he lets go and I just went whoop, straight to the floor. And I hit head first on the floor. So I'm knocked out cold. And then I'm now I've got a goose egg on my head and I wake up to Joe smacking me in the face because I'm in his house. He thinks he's going to go to jail or something for me dying, you know, because he thought I was dead. I was out for like 30 seconds. He's smacking me. And then he starts cussing at Travis like, what do you think you're doing? And I started crying because I was a big girl. And I mean, it was just it was, I wish I had it on video. It would have been amazing. <laughs> but, but I can remember what it felt like when I, when I wasn't able to, to get any air. And, and you can't describe that unless you've been through it. And, and, and what I want us to recognize as husbands tonight is this, is that when you're unable to breathe, you'll thrash, you'll fight, you'll do whatever it takes to get air. And husbands, your wife needs your love as much as she needs God's air. When she is choked out of love in marriage, you know what your wife's going to do? The things you don't like. Write that one down, all right? You don't have to write it down. You already know it. When she doesn't feel loved, it's the same as she's not getting the breath that she needs, and she'll begin to thrash. You can call it other things. Nag. Anyone's wife nag? Don't raise your hand. That would be, all right? Um, You know, She'll begin to nag. She'll begin to complain. She'll begin to act out in different ways. And it's not because she's a bad lady. It's not because she doesn't love you. It's because she doesn't feel loved. And that is her number one need. It's the way that God has designed her. When she begins to fight, complain, nag, get on your case, it's not because she's needy or high maintenance. It's because her main need is not being fulfilled. What she says may sound like complaining. It may sound like criticizing. It may even sound like crying. But can I just interpret the words into a language that we as men are able to understand? When a wife begins to complain, criticize, nag, I think the next slide is what it is. If I put it into layman's terms, the cry of her heart is this. I need your love. Let me, honey, let me tell you what I think you need to do. And she starts pouring it on. She's not telling you how, how lame you are at money management, or she's not telling you how you need to be a better dad or how you need to step up spiritually. You know what she's really saying? I need your love. I need you to love me. I don't feel loved right now. I'll be honest with you. There have been a handful of times in those first 15 years of my marriage where my wife looked at me and she said, I don't feel like you love me. And as a pastor, knowing what the word of God teaches to husbands, It was like a dagger to my heart, like, come on, man, you can do better than this. But most wives won't say that out loud. They won't say, I feel like you don't love me, but they will criticize, they will nag. And what they're really saying is, I just need you to love me. I just need you to sacrifice for me. I just need you to to treat me the way that Jesus has treated his church. When we fail to realize what she's really saying, It only incites more hurt, more responses, more hurt, more responses. And does this look familiar that we talked about earlier? When you're not given that love, it creates more hurt, which creates more responses. It just goes on and on. Can I tell you oftentimes why your wife, why it feels, let me put it this way. Can I tell you why it feels like your wife doesn't respect you, husbands? 
because our pursuit of her oftentimes is not out of love for her, but out of love for ourselves. What is, is it the book of James that talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, right? Those are the three main temptations. What's the lust of the flesh? It's the desire to feel. You know why a lot of guys pursue their wives when they want something? There's young years in the room. You guys know what I'm talking about. Am I wrong? How many, guys, how many ladies? Don't raise your hand. I won't even ask that question. But I know there are some ladies in this room that have looked at their husband and gone, I know why you're treating me so got nice. I know why you're being kind to me. It's because you want something later. Lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes. You know what the lust of the eyes is? It's a desire to have. You know why a lot of guys are nice to their wives? I'm hoping she'll let me buy that new smoker. <laughs> I'm hoping she'll let me get that new boat. I'm hoping she'll let me go golfing with the guys. Not today, but you know. Am I wrong? What's the last one there? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. That's the desire to be power. You know, sometimes guys will just, uh, they'll, 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 they'll show extra affection to their wives and it's just because they want that power trip that can a lot of times go along with that. And a lot of times we fall into one of those three categories. But if you find a man that is passionately pursuing his wife emotionally and spiritually, you'll find a man that's respected by his wife. You may be thinking, oh, I know I need to love her, but, and I know I need to uh, passionately pursue her, but how do I do that? Here's the last P, practice, number three. Here's the practice. Here's what we got to do. Your wife has one need. It is to be loved unconditionally. We have one singular duty, and if we do this, everything else will fall into place. Don't, don't misunderstand what I just said. If you will do this, everything else will fall into place. I'm not sure if I believe that. You mean to tell me all I need to do is start loving my wife? Yes, that's what I'm telling you. As a matter of fact, if you're not sure about that, just stop and think about when they came to Jesus and they were like, hey, Jesus, there's like 613 laws. What are the two most important laws? Anybody remember what they were? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, and all thy might, and love thy neighbor as thyself. And then he said, all the law and prophets hang on these two commands. Anybody remember that? In other words, he said, if you get this right, everything else falls into place. And listen, you're, everything that's jacked up in this world, how many guys say this world is jacked up, all right? You, all you have to do is look over at Illinois if you don't believe it and you'll see it, all right? <laughs> it's jacked up. You know what would fix this world? If people would love God and love others. Am I wrong? You love God and love others, you don't have to worry about everything else because it'll all fall into place. And the same thing is true in our marriage. If we'll just begin to love God and love our spouse, everything else will fall into place. So how do we do this? Well, think of this. When you get married, verse number 31 tells us, the two become one flesh. It was a quote out of the book of Genesis, right? So Paul used a little bit of a play on words because he knew what he was gonna say in verse number 31. And so he told them how to love their wives in verses 28 and 29 by using that play on words. He said this, verse 28. So ought men to love their wives as what? Their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. How many of you know your body does not take care of itself? Right? 
We know the people that don't believe that because you can smell them a mile away, right? That kind of thing. Bodies don't take care of themselves. If there's a need to be cleaned, you got to clean it. If there's a need to be fed, you got to feed it. If there's a need to, uh, of thirst, then you've got to give it uh, something uh, to drink. And so our bodies don't care, take care of themselves. Um, when we are not loving our bodies, what happens to them? They deteriorate. Yeah, they get sick. I had an ingrown toenail. You guys want to see it? Uh, no, I'm a tightwad. I don't like to spend money. And so uh, rather than going to a podiatrist or somebody's like, you should just go see the nail ladies. They'll fix your ingrown toenail for you, you know, at the nail salon or whatever. I'm like, I ain't going to a nail salon. All right. Pastor Joel would see it. He put a picture of me on Facebook. All right. But so I got on Amazon and bought me a pedicure set, <laughs> an ingrown toenail pedicure set. Anybody own one of these things? It came with like the curved, it's 11 bucks. Everybody needs to have one. They were, it was awesome. It was awesome because my, my ingrown toenail started, actually it was on this, actually it was on both toes. I'll be honest. Sorry, it was both big toes. And, but this one was worse. And, and it started getting nasty. Actually, I have a picture of it, right? I'm just kidding. I don't. Um, no, it started getting real nasty. And, and, I, and at first I was like, ah, it'll go away. It didn't go away. It got worse. How many of you guys ever had an ingrown toenail before? Anybody? Yeah. And it starts to, I, I won't even describe, it's nasty. And so I was like, all right, here we go. You know, and I, I ordered it off of Amazon when it came in. I was kind of excited, like, let's do it. You know, and I dug down in there and there was blood and I won't give you all the details there, but if you're not loving your body, it's going to deteriorate. And loving the body means that you're giving the body what it needs. Are you following me? You tracking with me here? Much of the damage to our bodies is simply a result of a lack of self-care, right? As, as we get older, a lot of times, I'm 41 years old now, and I'm beginning to realize the need to take care of my body because as I'm getting older, I feel, I can begin to realize, oh, I probably need to start eating better because, my, because I haven't been eating better. I can feel a difference. You know, if I'm not exercising, I can tell a difference. And much of the problems that we have in our bodies are simply a result of a lack of self-care, and the same thing is true in our marriages. So how do we love our wives? Here it is. The same way that we love our bodies. We meet their needs. We meet their needs. Look what it says in verse 29. Again, he nourisheth his body. Listen to this. Nourisheth refers to feeding the body when it's in need of hunger. Cherisheth, in verse 29, refers to covering the body when it has need of warmth. When the body feels hungry, thirsty, cold, or tired, we have a choice to make. Am I going to love the body by feeding it, by clothing it, by giving it something to drink? Or am I going to allow things to get worse by not taking care of that need? In other words, here's how love is shown. Love is shown by this. It's shown when problems arise. Love is shown when problems arise. What did Jesus say? He said, uh, love thy neighbor. How many of you guys have a good neighbor? Anybody have a good neighbor? They like help you out. It's a blessing having a good neighbor, isn't it? I like having a good neighbor. How many of you guys got a, the other kind though? When, when Jesus said, love thy neighbor, which one of those guys do you think he was talking about? 
<laughs> yeah. The, the people that love you, that's the easy one. You don't have to have a command. It's like, hey, you need to love your kid. They're like, okay, I, I get that. You know, I know I'm supposed to do that. He said, love thy neighbor. You know how you love someone? The only way you can love someone is when problems arise. Here's another statement that I absolutely love. I'll never forget it. It's this, is that unconditional love cannot exist where all of the conditions are met. I still, to this day, every time I say that, I get goosebumps when I say that statement because it has so much power. And if we would begin to uh, understand, internalize, and begin to live out the truth of this, unconditional love cannot exist where all of the conditions are met. If your wife always did everything perfect, then you wouldn't have to be commanded to love her because guess what? You already do. It's easy. It comes natural. It's just, boom, she's doing everything right. The command to love is needed when problems arise. Same thing with Jesus. When Jesus, the way that he showed love to us, the only way he could show love is because we were our jacked up. We were the ones that had issues. We were the ones that were sinners. We were the ones that were far from him, but he showed love to us in the position to where the conditions were not met. When you feel like you're being disrespected, husbands, you know what you need to do? Love. When you feel that, that you want to respond in anger, can I tell you how you should respond? in love. When you think she doesn't deserve love, can I tell you what you need to do? Love. When she begins to nag, when she begins to criticize, when she begins to do that stupid thing that she does over and over again, you know what you need to do? Love. When she puts the toilet paper on upside down. How many guys know it goes on the top, not going under the bottom? And all God's people said, amen. There's, you start a marriage fight right there with that one, right? Anger and lashing out never will win her over. Anger and lashing out will never win her over. It's as, it's as effective. If you've been married for 10 minutes, you know it's about as effective as telling a wife when she's upset to calm down. <laughs> Have you guys tried that one? How to calm down, calm down, calm down. <laughs> Turning it up a notch, right? The next time your body is in need, when I'm hungry, I love food. I, thank God I have a good metabolism. I went to one of those five-star fitness places and they put you on one of those machines. You guys been on one of those machines that measures like your body fat and your metabolism and all that stuff? The, the guy told me I could lay down all day long and still burn 2,300 calories. That's my metabolic rate. I was like, God bless America. Bring me the food, right? I, I promise you, I probably eat more than anyone in this room. And thank God I have a good metabolism because I should be as big as this platform, all right? I'm thankful for that, that, uh, that, that metabolism. So when my, my body is hungry, I was, when I was about to leave before Sean came over to my house today and we were going to drive up here, uh, I saw I had a quarter of a tank and I was like, oh, I'm kind of hungry. And I was planning on eating when we came into Davenport. But then I was like, I got a quarter of a tank. That means I can stop an hour earlier and I'll be able to eat an hour earlier. And so I was like, let's just wait, you know, because I, I want to eat. How many guys, when you eat, how many guys are grazers? Like at nighttime, you go and just open the freezer or the fridge and stand in front of it. And you're not even hungry, but you're going to eat anyway, you know. I kind of fall into that category myself. The next time your body is hungry, ask, is what I'm about to feed it good for me, right? But we're not talking about feeding. We're talking about our spouses. So the next time your body is in need, because remember, we're two or one flesh, right? Two or one flesh. So the next time your body is in need, ask, is what I'm about to say or do going to come across as loving or unloving? 
Realize that her words and actions that you don't like are probably nothing more than the result of you not fulfilling her need for love. That's a hard one to hear. A lot of the things that she says and does that you don't like are nothing more than a result of you as a husband, me as a husband. Guys, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to myself on this one because like I said, it took me 15 years to begin to understand this and we still struggle ourselves. It's a constant effort because when you get two sinners together, guess what you're gonna have? Problems. We need to stop making our marriages about our needs, husbands, and make it about hers. I know that sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? Because I, I feel like if I get what I want, then I should be happy. Doesn't it seem that way? Like, I want this, so if I get it, it's going to make me happy. So you mean I need to do something that I don't want to do to give her something that she wants, and that's going to make me happy? Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. You're going to experience that in, what, today's the second, 23 days. Some of you guys are going to spend money on people, and you're going to give them a gift. And at the end of Christmas, some of you guys are going to go, you know that verse that says it's better to, anybody know where I'm going? give than it is to receive at christmas time you're going to go that verse is so true i'll just tell you right now you don't have to wait till christmas you can start doing it now it's better to give to your spouse than it is to receive from your spouse but the reason we're not experiencing that supernatural work of god in our marriage is because we're too concerned about what we want and what we need what you think will work oftentimes simply drives her farther away Galatians 6.1 tells us, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one. In a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Someone has to be the spiritual one. And if your marriage is struggling, and you'll never convince me that every marriage in this room is going great. You know why? Because Joel told me everything before the service started. I'm just kidding. He didn't tell me about anyone. Everything may be going good, but the statistics, statistics are show that most marriages is probably are struggling at some point. And if not, the majority of them may be struggling behind the scenes because when, when we were, when we were uh, in that first 15 years of marriage, I was in ministry for 14 of those years. And when I came to church, you know what I looked like? Like everyone else in this room right now. We sat next to each other, we smiled, we held hands, you know, walked into the car. And then it was on after that, right? <laughs> I'll finish, uh, but I'll say when I was 14 or so, I love like roller coasters and things, but I don't do like going like a swing back and forth or going in circles. And someone convinced me to go in the tilt-a-whirl. You guys know what I'm talking about, the tilt-a-whirl? It spins and then the whole thing spins and it was doing all this. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And I jumped on there. Probably was a girl. I was trying to impress her, right? And so I jumped on that thing and I could remember thinking, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And then it started. And I'm like, it's not going to be okay. And I began to get that feeling. You guys, has anyone ever thrown up on a ride before? Oh yeah. So I'm feeling it coming. Like, you know, almost blacking out that feeling that you get. And I can remember the music was blaring. It's like Guns N' Roses or something like that, you know, like Paradise City, you know, or whatever. And I'm like, shut down the ride you know i yelled and i came around and i yelled again stop the ride and he didn't stop the ride and it didn't stop the up chucking you know and i i mean we're spinning so it went <laughs> everywhere and we got off the thing and i looked at the guy and i was like i told you to stop the ride <laughs> it was it was bad right 
Hey, can I, can I just say something to some of the, some of the spouses tonight? Stop the ride. Because some of us right now, we're on, the, we're on the edge in our marriage. Maybe not of puking, but of the th- whole thing just blowing out. You know what I'm saying? And someone needs to be the one that is the spiritual one and stops the ride and says, we're getting off of this crazy cycle to where we're constantly at one another. I'm just going to try to step out on faith and say, hey, honey, I'm going to love you, even though I don't really want to right now, because I'm still struggling with some of the things that I've heard said and had to go through. But, you know, I'm going to trust God in this area. I don't know about your situation, but maybe you feel like it's impossible. And I would agree with you that it is absolutely impossible to do what I'm asking you to do today if you're doing it in your own power. But can I remind you that Paul prefaced this entire passage on marriage with what he said in verse number 18. Did you notice what he said in verse number 18? He said, be filled with the Spirit. He prefaced these verses about marriage with a key verse of verse number 18 of being filled with the Spirit. The only way that you can love your wife the way that she needs to be loved is with God's help. And this is the final blank. The only way to be effective in passionately pursuing your wife is to be passionately pursuing Jesus. You know why? Because we do what we do because we worship what we worship. And husbands, if you're not loving your wife today, I'll just be honest with you, and I'll be as blunt as I can possibly be. It's because you're not worshiping Jesus. It is 1,000% impossible to worship Jesus and not love your wife. We do what we do because we worship what we worship. I want to invite you as men to not take the burden of empowerment to love upon yourself. I don't want you as men to walk out of here and go, man, I've got this heavy burden on me. I, I don't know that I can do this. You're right, you can't if you try to do it in your own power. The Bible says, though, if you'll walk in the Spirit, the Spirit will produce the fruit of the Spirit. And you know what the number one characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit is? Love. Then joy, peace, goodness, long-suffering, all those other things there. I hope that we as men will step in. And, and wives, I would just encourage you to go through and read chapter 5 for yourself and see what the responsibility of wives is. And um, I think it's going to be a lot easier if husbands are loving their wives. But wives, I would encourage you to learn to respect and reverence your husbands like the passage talks about there. And that's not a dirty word either. Um, I told you I wouldn't talk about all that stuff tonight, though. But uh, I think that we can get it all figured out if we would just realize the thing that got us to salvation is the thing that'll get us through salvation. How did you get saved? Galatians 3, he says, uh, you know, how did you, how did this come about? Did you do it of, of, by the Spirit or did you do it by your own works? And he's like, by the Spirit. He's like, well, how are you so foolish to think that you can begin in the Spirit and then complete it in your own power? You can't do it. The same way we get in is the same way we get through. The way we got in was through Jesus, or excuse me, the way we got in was through Jesus and the way we get through marriage and through the Christian life is through Jesus. So I encourage men to pursue our wives by pursuing Jesus and let him produce love unconditional Christ-like love to her like he's loved the church.